Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 72. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Science run amok. What fun would science be if it were always following the rules and behaving? You can keep your boring old goody-two-shoes science and give me the hot spring break party science any day of the week. Woohoo! Show me your science! Oh, we will. In a little segment we call Drabble News. Check this. You've no doubt heard of maggots and leeches being used in medicine, but what about intestinal worms? Mr. Tweedy found this and posted it in our discussion forums, and it's sure to make you gag. But after you're done gagging, it'll make you think. From the New York Times. Gastroenterologist Joel Weinstock was editing a book on parasitic worms that seemed to have a paradoxical effect on their hosts. Rather than inducing inflammation, which is the body's typical response to invasion, the intruders calmed the host's immune systems. Scientists think they force this peace on the host to avoid eviction and keep their home and food source as healthy as possible. A comparison of the prevalence of inflammatory bowel disease, aka the super squirts, with surveys of worm infestation rates reveal a telling pattern. About 10 years after improved hygiene and deworming efforts reduced worms in a given population, the rate of super squirts jumped. Weinstock has a hypothesis. After a long coevolution, the human immune system came to depend on the worms for proper functioning. When cleaner conditions and new medicines evicted the worms from our bodies, the immune system went out of kilter. Hygiene has made our lives better, says Weinstock, but in the process of eliminating exposure to the 10 or 20 things that can make us sick, we're also eliminating exposure to things that make us well. At the time of Weinstock's initial musings, epidemiologists had already dubbed this notion the hygiene hypothesis. As improved hygiene reduced exposure to certain infectious agents, the immune system began malfunctioning. So, if eliminating worms led to an increase in disease, could reintroducing worms actually treat disease? Only one way to find out. In 2005, he published results from two human studies. After ingesting 2,500 microscopic intestinal worm eggs at three-week intervals for 24 weeks, 23 out of 29 Crohn's patients responded positively. Crohn's disease belongs to the super-squirt family. In the second study, 13 of 30 ulcerative colitis patients improved, compared with 4 in the 24-person placebo group. So it seems to work. There's more and more research going into this every day, and more and more people gobbling down worm eggs like they were rainbow nerds candy. But if we've learned anything from the Drabblecast, it's that parasitic worms are not only icky, they're dangerous mofos. A world full of intestinal worm treatment is no place for old Norm, I'll tell you that much. Although it would probably make it a lot easier to find good sound effects. There's a super squirt for you. Well, our feature story this week is also about crazy spring break science gone wild, although fortunately for us, it's a fiction story. It's called Exit by Jeff Carlson. Jeff's work has appeared in Asimov's Writers of the Future, Strange Horizons, and the upcoming Fast Forward 2 anthology. His first novel, Plague Year, was published last summer by Ace Books and will be followed by a sequel entitled Plague War this month. He's also had fiction pop up on podcasts such as Escape Pod, Pseudopod, and Starship Sofa. 
This story originally won grand prize in a writing contest at MozCon and appeared in Dreams and Nightmares. So without further ado, Exit by Jeff Carlson. There were rats in the souffle again. Whole ones this time. Stevens wasn't even being subtle anymore. Fine. These babies were impossible to miss, unlike the little clawed feet sprinkled into last night's dinner. Last night, I'd told Dr. Hallwog he had 24 hours. Norad refused to give us any more time. We were down to roughly 180 minutes now, with nothing to do but fill our neglected bellies. My squad and I had been gophers, muscle, and security for the scientific staff of this subterranean compound. My duties were through. What remained of the equipment had been gone for and muscled into place, and security was a rude joke. I poked at a leathery tail jutting up from the middle of my plate. Stevens wasn't being subtle. He was sculpting. I stifled an exhausted giggle. Bad idea to get started. I might not stop. Beside me at the cafeteria table, Corporal Water set her fork down with a sudden, precise movement. Good, I thought. She sees them too. Lieutenant, she said. Stevens obviously has it or he would have quit this crap. I hoped he was... I hoped he was just making some kind of statement. It's your turn. Water shook her head. No, I I took care of Riggs. But I did Carrington and Radowski. I'm one ahead. She frowned at me, surveyed her plate, then rose and strode toward the kitchen. Get me a get me a sandwich while you're in there, I said. Waters must have been wound tighter than I thought. Her first shot was bad. I heard Stevens scream before she shot him again. The virus, when perfected, had been intended to be a merciful means of conducting war like spraying enemy lands with an incapacitating form of LSD and then simply walking in. When the fevers and hallucinations wore off, their troops and leaders would find themselves defeated unconditionally, bloodlessly. We'd never know which scientist released the protoforms of the virus, or even for sure if it had been an accident. Did it matter? I had watched all the security camera back tapes as I transmitted them to NORAD, but saw nothing definite. C-Block was closed off now, sealed the instant that the sniffers belatedly detected the leak. And I had been too shorthanded to send a detail in there merely to search for clues that might not exist. The situation had been lousy from the start. Most of the people capable of solving the problem, and most of our supplies were lost in the chaos that ensued before C-Block fell forever silent. The staff trapped behind the automatic gates all went violently insane 
as the protoviruses made their subconscious fears as real to them as their skin. Over the past two days, most of my small command had also succumbed. Hazmat suits were <laughs> no protection. One protovirus had spread much faster than anyone could have guessed and was now incubating within us all. There was no exit, no salvation, unless Dr. Hallwog pulled off a miracle. Even then, <laughs> NORAD might incinerate us with a baby nuke just the same. How could they be certain that we weren't pretending to have conquered the virus out of desperation? Three lives meant little weighed against the possibility of loosing the virus upon the entire American population. And then the world. Hallwog didn't look up from his microscope when I stepped into his makeshift laboratory eating a turkey on white. Not much of a last meal, but no mice at least. I'd checked four times. He appeared as neat as ever, even wore a red tie under his lab coat like a flower at the base of his neck. Doc, are you hungry? Take five. Maybe a short rest will help. He didn't respond. A centrifuge spun on the counter beside a rack of tissue samples. Some of that flesh was mine. I rubbed the gauze wrapped around my forearm. Doc! I sprayed crumbs. He leaned back from the microscope and I saw that his face was a pale mask. The neatness of his clothing was inadvertent. Dinner? I said. But he shook his head and returned to the microscope. Less than one hour left. The alarms I'd set at the exit went off. Waters and I drew our sidearms and ran. Hallwog screamed as we stalked towards him. Who knows what he saw, who or what we were in his eyes. No chance, he shrieked. No chance! Did you think you would never be again? Waters shot him cold. Hallwog had managed to open three of the locks. One more correct key code and the elevator would have powered up. The gates opened. How he deciphered my codes, I couldn't guess. Maybe he was just that much smarter than me. Waters and I studied the last closed gate for a long time. I almost reached out to the keypad. But the virus would leave with us. How about dessert, Lieutenant? My treat, she said. We turned and walked back into the compound. Well, that was our story. A biological weapon that makes you hallucinate and see things that aren't really there. Hmm. I think this weapon actually exists already, 
But when Iraq tried it out on our president, it actually started a war. Oh, snap. Feedback for episode 67, The Horse Racing Story, Malish, by Mike Resnick. Well, feedback was light for this, but universally good. Bold Deceiver said, I actually cheered out loud when I saw the author credit, and let me say, the episode did not disappoint. The story was just pure fun, very in the Drabblecast spirit. DKT said, All around great stuff, and one of my favorite readings by Norm, which is saying something because he always does killer readings. Aw, shucks. DKT also said, I'm excited about the B-Sides podcast, although I'm trying to figure out how you qualify weirder than the Drabblecast. Oh, it can be done, I assure you. B-Sides is on hold for a while until the Super Animal Deathmatch competition is over, so you'll just have to hold your venomous horses. Speaking of the Deathmatch, it's set up and ready to go. You can subscribe to the podcast on the Mega Beasts section of our website at www.drabblecast.org, and also find a link to the first round of preliminary voting there. Check out last week's Drabblecast for details. While you're on the site, you can join our discussion forums and chat about stories. And if you're feeling generous, you can drop a donation our way via the donation button. Your support allows us to pair authors for their stories and keep bringing you weekly weirdness. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with whoever you want. That's all for this week, folks. Our staff is made up of co-slackers Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, Reminding you to get me a sandwich while you're in there. Turkey on white. Laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when slow. In the dark corner table.